Hello, my friends. Good day. How are you? I hope you enjoyed last week's episode on agriculture and that you learned something new about our food systems and the human world within them. Today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. In between our regular Life Worlds episodes, I'm going to be uploading these practices, meditations, poems, exercises, mostly designed to get us to tune in somatically to the world around us. Somatically is a fancy way of saying through the body. We need to be grounding our learnings in our bodies for them to become lasting and real. And that's really important when it comes to connecting with the life worlds of nature. We access the life worlds of nature, not just through our minds, but also through things like art, poetry, movement, mindfulness. And so to start us off this week, we're going to engage with a basic practice that I think everyone should and can do. We're going to understand the ground that we stand on, the place that we call home. And that's because our homes, our doorways into the greater whole. It's where the hyper object, the things that are often way too large to grasp, become touchable and intimate. Wendell Berry has this wonderful quote. Um, he was a poet, philosopher, farmer who inspired me very much. And he says, you can't know who you are until you know where you are. Now this practice of sensing and grounding into land is one that really requires a skill of observation. And if you listen to the episode with Michael Abelman on agriculture, you would have heard from him that the act of observation, the power of observation, is probably the most important agricultural skill. And Michael shared with us that when he walks his farm, the plants, the animals, and the soil do in fact tell him what they need. It's not that he's hearing voices in his head, but there's a certain form of interspecies communication that occurs. And from that communication results for him a very clear to-do list for the week, for him and his farm staff. And so this is both a very practical and very spiritual practice. When we learn how to track the moods of the land, the undulations of the land, the crack of branches above, the soaring densities of clouds that gather in the horizon before a storm, we're at once rewilding ourselves and also learning the skills that our bodies and our neural circuitries are literally hardwired to do. Our human brains, our neuronal pathways, jolted and fused and tenderly sprouted new branches every time our eyes scanned the complexity of a living world, trying to make sense of its expressions, our bodies learning to live by sensing the smallest details of topographies, learning how to forage and track and hunt. We have often been nomadic as a species, and as we moved through landscape, we became landscape, and landscape became us. So now ask yourself, if the richness of human imagination emerges from the richness of a biodiverse landscape, then perhaps today's rather exponential disappearance of that landscape is also an exponential loss 
of all the ways that we can become ourselves and understand ourselves and all of life. I believe that we are a, a civilization that is stunted by simplification and that new generations have an impoverished baseline from which they're learning the world from. And this practice is a very, very, very small way of getting, or I would say rather remedying, um, this, this alienation. And as I said before, listening and observation are at the core of how we understand the life worlds of nature. It's how we begin to fine-tune ourselves like an analog radio to frequencies that appeared invisible to us beforehand what you will begin to pick up on are nothing less than the dialects and the languages of the earth itself. So with that preamble to set the scene, let's get into the exercise. I'm going to share with you a list of questions. Now, just if you're listening to this, you don't have to write them down or take them in. They're on the website and I've linked them in the show notes. So for now, just sense your response to them and where you feel particularly drawn to or curious about or where you want to explore. Uncovering the answers to these questions is often incredibly rewarding and can lead you to many a giddy adventure into the underlayers of a place you once thought you knew and the place that you call home. And if you're anything like me, you might find yourself trailing behind a recycling truck or packing an overnight bag to trek to the top of a river source. Appreciate the subtle shifts in your body that might occur as you go further and further in and observe how the place that you call home starts to change. As I said before, our home is a doorway into the greater hall. So here are some of the questions that I'm inviting you to start working with over the coming weeks and months. Can you point to where north is? What phase is the moon currently in? Can you describe the soil around your home? And how does it change over the seasons, in texture, in smell, and color? What's the plant that grows closest to your front door? What kinds of trees, fruits, or animals are native to your area? Do you know edible plants in your region, maybe three, and the season that they flower in? What is the first wildflower to bloom every spring? What are the names of the birds that visit your spaces? And from the birds in the trees, what wood in your area is good for making things with? Where does the water from your tap come from and where does it go when it goes down the drain? Similarly, where does your trash go when it leaves your house? When the rain falls, where does it flow? Could you maybe bring out your sketchbook the next time it rains and sketch out the little rivers, the eddies and the currents around your street or your house? And as you do this, start to draw a little map of maybe one kilometer of all of the plants and elements of the land and begin to do it off memory. You can also weave into this map certain myths or folk tales or stories. These can be found through 
books and elders and maybe just someone who's been working at the coffee shop for a long time. The land is also full of stories. And so take all this and begin making a calendar. I think that there is a great source of inspiration from a Japanese calendar that's that's based off 72 micro-seasons. So instead of our four kind of lumped major seasons of summer, spring, winter, fall, the Japanese have these 72 sections that last for about five days each and that perfectly describe what happens as life blooms and ebbs. I'll just give you a few examples of these because I think they're wonderful. So in February, you have the east wind that melts the ice. You have the bush warblers, that's a type of bird, start singing in the mountains. First peach blossoms, when the mist starts to linger, when the wild geese fly north, when the deer shed their antlers, when insects hole up underground, when caterpillars become butterflies, when wheat sprouts under snow, and so on and so forth, 72 times. So maybe with your observations, you can start to create your own micro-calendar. Set yourself an hour every few mornings or evenings when you have just some time to yourself. And go and sketch and observe what you see. And it's useful not to have to wander too far. Stay in a closed circuit. And have fun with it. See what you uncover. Set yourself a few months just to try, try this out. And add your own discoveries and questions to this list. This exercise may seem basic or it may seem uh, factual in a certain way, but it relies on observation and it relies on curiosity and getting close. And then once you know the names and the presences of these different beings and creatures in the land, you will notice them a lot more and a relationship will start to form between you. A little invisible cord every time you look at one of them and back and forth and back and forth. Uh, John Young will speak about this on our episode on, on wilderness rides, but for now, just get out there and have fun. And I'm going to end with a wonderful quote from the poet philosopher David Abram. Naturally then, the mountains, the creatures, the entire non-human world is struggling to make contact with us. The plants we eat are trying to ask us what we are up to. The animals are signaling to us in our dreams or in forests. The whole earth is rumbling, straining to let us remember that we are of it, that this planet, this macrocosm is our flesh, that the grasses are our hair, the trees are hands, the rivers are blood, that the earth is our real body and that it is alive. Thank you very much. And I'll see you next week to talk about rewilding. Good thing you're getting a head start on that yourself.